I was told that I shouldn't be a surgeon, and that was my dream at the time. Fortunately, the medical school I was at had a general surgery resident who was type 1 diabetic, and that was extremely helpful. Gave me a lot of hope and inspiration that I can do what I want to do still. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Rochester, Minnesota, Athens, Georgia, and Nagoya, Japan. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 55 of season 5, number 354 overall. I want for you to stop for just a second and think about this. Imagine having a career, one that you've trained years for, threatened suddenly by something that is completely out of your control. You're chugging along, you're right there, about to live that dream, and then comes the coldest bucket of water ever. Now, people close to you, they start saying, you can't do this now. You have to find another career. You have to find another dream. And I'm sorry, but that is just the way that it is. What would you do? It's easy to sit here and say, heck no, I won't go out like that. But if you sit and you think about it a little bit, you realize that it's not always that easy, especially when the stakes are as high as they are for our guest today. You will be hearing from Dr. Brian Carlson, a doctor who was living with type 1 diabetes and a doctor who took the road less traveled. He is here today to share his story of success for you, how and why he turned to a plant-based diet for help to control the disease, a step that largely wouldn't even be talked about in the medical community for many years thereafter. He'll be talking about his success and how others with type 1 diabetes may also benefit from taking this approach. And as for those high stakes, Dr. Carlson works now at the Mayo Clinic as a reconstructive microsurgeon and hand surgeon. And then the stakes taken even higher because he is working to improve the lives of patients after they have had an amputation. Now, his bio on the Mayo Clinic website says that he is, quote, using novel approaches to engineer lost body parts so that one day amputation will be a temporary condition. And Dr. Carlson will also be presenting a new approach to type 1 diabetes at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine in Washington, D.C. This is coming up August 18th through the 20th. As a matter of fact, he'll be one of the 30 speakers sharing the latest science on nutrition and what that could mean for your health and the future of medicine. We'll have more on the conference after the interview, but if you would like to save your seat, you can do that right now at pcrm.org ICNM. But right now, let's hear about the benefits of a vegan diet for type 1 diabetes. And let's hear about them from a doctor who's living proof that it works. Sir, it is good to make your acquaintance. Thank you so very much for being here. It's great to meet you, Chuck. Uh, Nice to meet you. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Please call me Brian. 
I like that. Call me Brian. That means that you're you're not like all buttoned up and stuffy. It means that we can actually have a good, honest conversation here today. I'm excited about that. Um, I think it's fascinating, though, the fact that your background is as a plastic surgeon, but really, we're not going to talk a whole heck of a lot about that today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet for people living with type 1 diabetes. Before we get into the science behind that, why is this one near and dear to your heart? Yeah, it's my, it's my favorite topic to talk about. Uh, ask any, anyone who knows me. Uh, so I am a type 1 diabetic. I was uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a third-year medical student when I basically got the classic symptoms of type 1 diabetes. And for those that aren't aware, there's two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease where your uh, immune system dysfunctions and attacks your pancreas, and you can no longer make insulin, as opposed to type 2 diabetes, which is... Um, uh, a little bit more complicated in its uh, etiology, but is a, a disease characterized by insulin resistance. So your pancreas can make insulin a normal way, uh, but um, but uh, but because you're resistant, that insulin doesn't work very well. And so the bottom line with both of those is you have a high blood sugar. So that's the common common symptom, and actually what causes a lot of the disease problems in both in both conditions. So I was a type uh, third year medical student and just got the classic symptoms of um, hunger, uh, thirst, uh, fatigue. And uh, because I knew a little bit, I, I tested my own urine when I was working in the pediatric emergency department and uh, it was full of glucose. And so I went out and told the attending and she said, go next door, which was the adult uh, emergency department. And uh, there I was, uh, you know, without question, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes with a blood sugar of uh, 686, which is very high. Yeah, that must have come as a shock to you. How long had you been experiencing those symptoms, or did it really just kind of hit you out of the blue one day? Um, not out of the blue one day, but I guess um, I know that it wasn't going on for very long. I was actually on a military scholarship with the U.S. Navy and was uh, on some summer duties and wasn't having any issues and actually had lab work done. I don't know exactly how long before, but I had lab work done that summer, which was normal. And um, uh, so my recollection, it was about a month, but you know, things take a long time to reach our conscious mind. So probably what's going on longer than that, it was October that I was diagnosed. And um, yeah, it was, it was a shock and it was, um, you know, I, I guess I knew something was wrong, though, and it was um, whenever something is wrong, it's uh, a little bit reassuring to know that, you know, you, to get a diagnosis as as bad as type 1 diabetes is to receive as a diagnosis. It's nice to know that there's uh, uh, a definable problem and something you can do to uh, to control it. Yeah. And what was that something? What was the initial plan of action after you got that diagnosis? Well, this was this was in um, 1995, and things were a little bit different now. And I was a medical student, which I think led to some assumptions that I actually knew uh, more than I did. But um, so I was sent home with insulin and a and a visit the next day with an internal medicine physician, and eventually got with an endocrinologist and dietitian and kind of 
uh, a process to figuring out the insulin regimen. Eventually, I was on an insulin pump, which I wore for a number of years. Uh, there was, you know, I was told that I shouldn't be a surgeon, um, and that was my dream at the time. And uh, fortunately, the medical school I was at had a third, uh, excuse me, had a resident, general surgery resident, who was uh, type one diabetic, and somehow uh, I had got, gotten connected with her, and uh, you know she, that was extremely helpful, and uh, allowed me to uh, understand that I can I can do that with this disease, and I can, um, you know. It, basically gave, just gave me a lot of hope and inspiration that I can I can do what I want to do still. The recommendations at that time I think are important to, to know. You know, I meet, met with a dietitian and since we are going to get into uh, food and nutrition, you know, the, the recommendations were and are to a large degree to do a low carbohydrate diet. Um, and um, that is really the emphasis on trying to minimize the carbs or have a certain percentage of carbs, and then carb counting is and was, and still is in my 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 current life to to a, a certain degree. Um, how you know how much insulin to give yourself? So you need to have a baseline insulin and a uh, and the insulin when you, when you eat to uh, get all that all those carbohydrates into your um, into your cells where you need to, where where it needs to be to to work. Why would somebody tell you that you probably can't be a surgeon if you have type 1 diabetes? Uh, I think for a lot of us who don't have that, we're like, well, I, I don't understand why that would be limiting. So what is the thought process there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, nowadays we know there, you know, with uh, social media in, in particular, there are NFL athletes, there are NASCAR drivers, there's people in all all fields of uh you know, all areas uh, that are, are type one diabetics um, and, you know, proving to everybody that you, you can do anything. I actually did lose my Navy scholarship. I got a medical discharge. And the concern is that, you know, it's, it's, uh, that is really the hypoglycemia. So if you're not, if your blood sugars aren't stable, you can uh, uh, even, the smartest person in the world is not as smart as the human pancreas, so that you can still, you know, go low. And you're trying to operate within a, in a, in a tight range of normal glycemia, which most, uh, you know, normal people do. You know, with their pancreas does for them. But when you're doing it and trying to factor in all these uh, uncontrollables, it, it is a little bit tricky. Nowadays, um, and back then it was safe, and that wasn't an appropriate concern, but um, nowadays, we have continuous glucose monitors, which um, really make that uh, concern, you know, completely not not a valid concern because we can keep an eye on it and have alarms that go off if we get low or, you know, to try to prevent hypoglycemia. But that's really the concern is you're going to have hypoglycemia, you're going to lose your ability to think clearly. And that's problematic. Not good. Not good. Yeah, problematic. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you? Would you say, in your estimation, based? I'm just curious, based off of what it was you were just saying, is it trickier to kind of regulate uh, type one diabetes compared to type two uh, with the standard course of treatment, like you were uh, on initially? 
I would say yes. I mean, as a type 1 diabetic, you're having to titrate your insulin dosages to um, your activity and stress, and, and those things are harder to, to predict and control, but basically your activity and your, uh, your carbohydrate intake. Um, and so, yes, it's tricky because, you know, as a type 2, even though you're insulin resistant, you can go high. You're, you're not that some of the medications for type 2 diabetes can cause you to go hypoglycemic, hypoglycemic, that's not that common. Um, but uh, with type 1, it is, it is a real uh, legitimate um, concern. Yeah. How long was it before then you started researching whether you could see some benefits by making further changes to your diet, eventually landing on the whole food plant-based diet? And what were some of the obstacles, Brian, that you encountered to make you ponder such a thing? Yes. So, um, uh, so from fast, fast forward for a lot of years there. So I was third year medical student. I did, um, I matched into general surgery and I, I did I did like vascular surgery as kind of what I was thinking I wanted to do. And I discovered plastic surgery uh, as a, as a general surgery resident. And I liked that a lot better. It, it resonated with my personality and that, and you know, what I like to do in day out. And so got through residency. And for me, that included two years of research. Uh, two-year uh, subsequent training in plastic surgery, and then a one-year hand fellowship. So 10 years total of training for me. Uh, and then kids along the way. So I uh, had four kids, two during my residency, and uh, one during my fellowship, and one in my first year of practice. So kind of a large gap there. My old, my my son, my only son, he's the second oldest. He was... Uh, uh, a freshman in high school and was playing soccer and was getting some palpitations. I went to the cardiology appointment with him and I had had palpitations in the past myself. I kind of mentioned just the cardiologist. Of course, it's always all, all about me as a surgeon. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> my son's, you know, his, his palpitations actually, you know, got their work up and they were fine. I actually got my palpitations worked up. They're fine, benign. But in the process, they said, well, you've been type 1 diabetic now for 17 years. You probably should get a CT scan of your coronary arteries. So I did that. And um, I was doing uh, basic science research at the time. I had a research day, which meant, thankfully, I didn't have patient care uh, as a part of it. And I was just in my office. I pulled up my images on the computer. And I saw something white. And I thought, is that a lymph node? What is that? You know, this is not my specialty. And so I Google imaged uh coronary calcification and the picture looked just like my just like my ct scan so that was uh devastating for me my my youngest uh was four at the time you know i'm a i felt like i still despite having type 1 diabetes considered myself healthy thought i was going to live forever i was i still thought i was active and kept uh, tight control on my my glucose so this uh this came out of uh, this was a big surprise for me, and I thought, well, what what else can I do? What else can I do? So that day, uh, I got on the internet and I found Caldwell Esselstyn. Uh, I had Apple Books. I bought the, I bought his uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease book, and I think I got the CT scan at 7 a.m. By 11 a.m., I had read enough of that book to be a whole food plant based guy, and that was March 12th. 
2014. Okay. So, I mean, as somebody who's in medicine themselves to have a four hour window to read a book and say, yep, this is what we're going to do. I mean, that's got to be some pretty convincing evidence in there. What was it about that book that, that had you so convinced? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, one, he's a, he's an MD, he's a surgeon. I, uh, you know, I, I researched him. He's from Cleveland Clinic. He's not um, not someone. He's not. It was pretty clear to me. He's not someone trying to sell anything. And his and the and the story he told about the patients. They were cardiac cripples. They were no longer candidates for angioplasty, stenting, bypass. And he took them, put them on this nutritional regimen, um, which you know we can talk about. It's a whole food plant based diet um, with some you know. Uh, added specifications of really minimizing your fat intake and 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 they didn't have any recurrence of events not only did they not have any recurrent heart disease which is astonishing for me as a as a medical provider where we that's that's unheard of i mean that's you don't get that you don't get that with statins you don't get that with mediterranean mediterranean diet i mean this really gives someone like me hope uh that this is a condition that I can, I can beat. How was that transition for you? Um, a lot of people are so nervous going into it, even if they have like the best intentions, like reversing heart disease. Um, they're still a little bit nervous about changing up the diet that they've been eating practically their entire life. What was that transition experience like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and, and there's so, and as you know, there's so many, so many people have uh, their own history and nuances that make it difficult. So my experience and my personality, I've learned along the way, don't don't work as a prescription for everybody. But um, just my nature uh, as a as a person is I I jump in with both feet. I'm going I'm going all in and I'm committed and. That is the approach that I like the best because I uh, it it for patients because it gives them very quickly uh, visible changes that are not subtle. Um, you know, one meal a week or one day a week. Um, those are those might be easier uh, technically to do, but they're not going to give you that uh, really positive reinforcement. Um, that you you can objectively experience in your own in your own body, so that I mean that that's just been my approach to to, to everything. You know, when I run, I want to do a marathon. I don't want to do a five k. I want to. This is this maybe an unfortunate <laughs> glitch in my system, but um, so for me as a type one diabetic, you know, it, it there still is a transition. I still didn't understand what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. The book is great and kind of gives you a little bit of guidance, but for some reason it took me, uh, I don't remember exactly, a week, a month before I discovered beans and rice, which <laughs> was hard, it was hard to get full, you know, I was, and I was, I was losing weight. Uh, in the end, I only lost 10 pounds. I was, I wasn't overweight technically, but I was carrying extra fat on my body. I lost a layer of fat, so my appearance did change more than my body weight did. Um, and the very surprising thing that was unexpected, you know, that book is not written with type one diabetes in mind, um, is that I became extremely insulin sensitive. So 
to the point, you know, I was getting low blood sugar a lot. I was, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I thought, man, did the, did the diet cure me of my diabetes? It seemed like I could eat anything and my blood sugar would still go low. So I just kept decreasing the amount of insulin I was taking uh, and eventually, you know, figured that out. Now, now um, I, I would hope that most people that go on this or are listening to this, that are type one diabetes, you know, know to adjust that. And in a similar way, if you're type two diabetic and you make these changes as drastic, uh, uh, you know, like, like this go all in, then you, you probably need to, you know, have some medical supervision, maybe come off all of your medications, which I think is what um, people like at Mastering Diabetes uh, do. They, you know, if you're going to do a total immersion, you probably just stop those medicines and, uh, and you're, you're, you, you may not ever need to take them again. I mean, just surprise, uh, the, the diet seems to affect the body in, in so many different ways, you know, 99.999% of them positive, if not more. Um, so that's, that's really impressive that that happened for you. Um, what did that do in terms of, uh, your athletic performance? I mean, you just said you're a guy that doesn't like to run five K's. You want to run a marathon. Um, so you are a fit individual. You do pound the pavement. Did you notice any changes there? Yeah. Yeah. So if I can back up a little bit. So when I was life and residency and kids, I was, uh, I played basketball all my life up in into college then i uh, i went to junior college for two years played basketball went to uh, university and decided to focus on academics and try to get into medical school and so i continued to play basketball and go for runs it was nothing too uh structured or intense and then when when this all happened at around that same time you know i decided i was going to exercise before I'd had a, uh, a few years before I'd had a radiculopathy, so a pinched nerve in my neck. And that's kind of scary as a surgeon because it was affecting my dominant hand. That, that kind of went away, uh, but I still had chronic kind of neck and shoulder back pain. Um, and, but when this happened, so as a part of that, I was told like running probably isn't a good idea for you, Brian. You know, you have some disc disease and we, it's interesting that we know that uh, some of this disc disease uh, may be related to uh, some vascular disease, interestingly enough. So I wasn't a runner for a period of time. I would go for the occasional run, but mostly I would do like the elliptical or something like that. So I was on the elliptical doing that. And one day I was like, I'm just going to get on the treadmill and run. I did that and um, and I was hooked. And uh, not only that, but my, my neck and back and shoulder pain, I mean, it just, it sounds, it sounds, some of the results can sound crazy. It sounds, it can sound like you're trying to sell somebody something when you, when I talk about how the, 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 the uh, kind of crazy benefits that I saw, you know, um, but I could run, I had no back, neck, shoulder pain. I was eating 800 milligrams, eating 800 milligrams of ibuprofen a day uh, because of the, the pain. And that was not in a smart way. I was doing that, um, you know, without coming off of it, which is never a good idea for anybody. And it just went away. Well, I just noticed one day I was no, no longer reaching for the, uh, for the uh, ibuprofen anymore. Um, and athletically, I started running. I loved it. 
uh, and I'm kind of a competitive person by nature. I decided I want to train for a 5K. I did that 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 summer, and into the fall, I did a 5K series, and then I've just continued to uh, train and get better and faster to the point where you know I was an athlete before, and when I was in the military, they have you do a a 1.5 mile time trial. And I remember I was competitive back then too. And I ran that in 8.58, which is just under a six minute mile. And that was age 25. Fast forward uh, 22 years later, age 47 is the last time I trained for and raced a 5K. And I did it in 17.58, which is a 5.47 mile. So 22 years of type one diabetes, Heart disease, heart disease, age, and I'm faster than I was at age 25. Those are objective things uh, that you can that you know that have happened to me that I have no explanation for other than my nutritional my my nutritional changes. So here's what I'm thinking. You were talking a while back about how astonished you were that you had become so insulin sensitive when you changed your diet, but then hearing you talk about all of these other changes that came. Um, with that, you know, I'm thinking like, isn't the body just equally sensitive to diet overall? You know, if it reacts in, in such a dramatic way in so many different ways, you know, it really does go to show how sensitive we can be with what it is that we put in our bodies, just as, you know, we can develop, you know, heart disease by eating the wrong things, how much improvement we can see, how sensitive we are when we rid ourselves of all of that stuff too. I mean, has, has that kind of entered your mind as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many different ways to, to think about that and articulate that, you know, this is clean fuel, um, in there and we, you know, there, the science, the microbiome, the fiber intake, you know, even vegans in this, uh, in the, in the world, in the country aren't getting the, the, what the USRDA is recommending for fiber intake. So, um, if you eat this way, you don't have to worry about your fiber intake if you're eating whole plant foods. Um, and yeah, the body just runs more efficiently. It's, it's, it's objectively, uh, you, I mean, it's, you don't have to believe in it. <laughs> if you do it, it will work. It's not something you have to believe in. Just put good fuel in your body and a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, crazy things will happen, uh, in a positive way. Yeah. And I'm sure that your experience and your enthusiasm uh, has caught the eye of uh, some of your colleagues, uh, the residents there. I know that uh, you get the opportunity to speak with them and and have even um, kind of, I don't want to say convinced, but certainly encouraged some of them to begin eating this way as well. What has that experience been like for them? And how do those conversations even begin? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm outspoken for a long, I mean, this is, it's kind of ironic. I'm on this, uh, podcast talking about my type 1 diabetes for the for the most of my life most of my type 1 diabetes life I did not talk about this at all uh, just be just for the reasons I mentioned about being a surgeon being type 1 I just didn't want to introduce and I didn't I didn't my colleagues didn't know nobody knew uh, some even good friends didn't know my very very close friends of course knew um, and it was really it's really been only in the last five years. I've been doing this, uh, eating this way for over eight years. And, um, in the last five years, I realized, uh, you know, I have to, I have to, I have to be outspoken about this. And my story 
I used to tell it without <laughs> talking about diabetes or the coronary calcification. And it just doesn't, it's hard for people to understand. So I think honesty and vulnerability are something I'm, I continue to learn. Um, and so I talk about it a lot. I talk about, I, I talk about what I, not just about diet, but wellness overall, about taking care of yourself and sleep and, and exercise and all of those things. And, you know, it's a big, it's just a big part of my life. We, it is a teaching hospital. I have medical students, residents, and colleagues, and our residency is a mentorship model. So really when, the, uh, when a resident's working with me, they're with me every day, day in the clinic, in the operating room. And that's, it's a beautiful, it's a wonderful way to train and teach and learn. Um, but, you know, cause they learn a lot more than just the, the patient care and the clinical aspects and, and the things they need to know to be a good doctor, but they also learn, you know, personal, they get to, they're like family uh, for those uh, few months. And yeah, I talk about it all the time. I give them a lecture every every year, uh, you know, basically telling them my story, but going through in, in detail some of the science. Because I think every doctor, I mean, you think I'm a hand surgeon, I'm a plastic surgeon, like it, um, you go to any grocery store, mall, uh, anywhere, you know, um, you know, talk to people who isn't struggling with lifestyle conditions if they're eating a standard American diet. I mean, this is this is everybody everywhere. There isn't a specialty that um, it doesn't touch. Um, and I talk about it, you know, in even in the hand clinic, carpal tunnel syndrome, it comes up commonly because we'll, you know, we'll review their medicines or on high blood pressure or hyper high cholesterol medicines. And there's a lot of opportunity. I have it made it a lot easier in my practice. I have brochures. We have dietitians that are on board here. And um, we've done a lot in terms of patient education. And uh, and yeah, so there, it, it does resonate with the residents. They're at a different stage of life. It is hard for them. They're working uh, hard, working hard and longer hours and usually have young, even younger families and uh, and different priorities. But, um, you know, that they're if you have enough time with them, you can, can, I can convince them that they need to be thinking about it already. We know from, you know, epidemic or, uh, you know, the, these traumatic traumatically killed children that uh, coronary artery disease starts in childhood. So the fact that I had it, you know, may or may, or may have it and uh, may or may not have been due to my type 1 diabetes, I tend to think it is. It's just the biggest thing you need to worry about as a type one diabetic. And, uh, but I think that there, nobody is, uh, is um, especially if they're on a standard American diet, they cannot with any confidence tell me they don't have coronary artery disease. And I can do a pretty good job convincing them of that and, uh, and then getting them to make positive changes. I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, people, you know, understanding and then behavior change. And that continues to be a challenge, you know, uh, for patients and friends and colleagues and, and everybody. That is a big challenge. I just think for that, for also this younger generation, they're very concerned about the environment as we all should be. Uh, and that, and that is becoming more, um, uh, on their radar screen, and they and that science is also very, very, very convincing, and that's that's something that can re resonate with people. I think if you're super young and healthy, it can be a little bit 
the changes can be a little more subtle, you know, uh, for you, you and I who lived, lived a certain way for a long time, um, the changes are dramatic. But if you if you're young and healthy and and you know more, you know eating not not that bad, it, the changes can be more subtle. And so for me, the changes are super motivating. But you know, I do I do it for selfish reasons. I really have to say no anymore. I care about I do care about the animals. I care about the environment, and I care about people who care about me. And I want to be healthy for them. You know, I want to be my best person I can be for them. And that, that means eating well and taking care of myself. It's, it's funny. You know, I always say when somebody brings up you, well, you know, I went vegan for my health, but then it was, you know, really hard not to also gain a keen interest in the environment and in the animals. And, you know, you really do kind of get immersed in, in all three. Um, but I think what I really want to ask you about as we start to wind things down here, Brian is, so you were talking about it being hard on the residents with their long hours, those busy schedules. I mean, they're just working to the bone. Like if somebody's on the go, right? And, and you, I mean, you have duties as a father, you have duties uh, at work. I mean, you're, you're an athlete, like it's go, 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 go. So how does one eat this healthy way? Like, what do you do to make sure that you're always eating this healthy diet and not falling uh, victim to the trap that can be grab and go snacks that are anything other than healthy. You know, what, what, what advice can you offer there? Yeah, I think that's a great, a great question. Um, and I have to be a little bit careful because as a type one diet, I think that's one of the reasons why the change was easier for me than for other people. Cause as a type one diabetic, even though the, the recommendations I don't agree with in terms of low carb, they do, you know, they do, you do learn that food is fuel and, and, and it's, it's no longer something that you can just, you know, do without thinking about it. it uh, eating becomes a mindful activity. You have to be very aware of what you're eating and how, and how you're eating it. And, so that made the transition a little bit easier for me. So, so for someone, for me, I eat a very consistent diet and it doesn't take me any, uh, any time. I do all my meal preparation, uh, you know, at dinner time. So it, it, my, my wife and I will usually make dinner together. It doesn't take very long. Uh, and it might be something that the kids are eating that's a little bit different that I don't eat, but I basically eat a big bowl of greens. I eat a, basically what I call a Buddha bowl every day. And that's a big plate of greens with a measured amount of high dent, high carbohydrate whole foods. So like sweet potatoes or squash or other potatoes, beans, um, th some things that are going to be high, high calorie. Uh, that's really important for me. Could be whole grains like rice and quinoa. I don't eat a lot of whole grains, but, um, just cause I, I love the whole, I love my, just the, it's just a, a food preference thing, but I, so that's my dinner. That's also tomorrow's lunch. And then after, after I make tomorrow's lunch, I make my breakfast, which is a big bowl of oatmeal with, uh, a bunch of fruit in it and I put that in the uh, and berries and put that in the refrigerator overnight and I eat that for breakfast in the morning that whole process you know including the eating dinner time is probably 90 90 minutes 
yeah, that's faster or that's longer than going to a drive through. Um, and so you do have to invest a little bit, but it can be super, it can be super, super simple, super fast. And that's just what I like. You, you don't have to even, you know, I like to eat the big bowl of greens and I think it's important for me. I think those are that, that, you know, leafy green vegetables are the healthiest food on the planet as far as um, I understand. And, um, I want that to be a big part of my diet, but some people don't like that. And there's just a, there really is a ton. There's a whole world of produce out there that is really fun to explore. And, um, and then, and, and I love doing that. I love to mix up the vegetables. I just make sure I, you know, if it's a sweet potato, I know I weigh it and I know how much carbohydrates in there. And I, and I eat this, a certain amount of carbohydrates for each meal, but you know, for people without type one diabetes, they don't have to do that. They can just, you know, eat, eat as much as they want. And that's the beauty of eating this way. I think that, um, you know, it's not a, I always, I often tell people it's not a weight loss plan. It's not, uh, it's not a, a, a diet, like, um, uh, like a diet that you go on and then go off. It's, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's just a, it's just, a healthy way to live. I don't even like really the word lifestyle, but it's just a healthy way to live. In my opinion, the best way to live and the most appropriate uh, way to live for your individual health, for your family health, uh, for the environment and uh, and the animals. Yeah. yeah. And remember that exam room is the next time somebody asks you why you're vegan, just tell them it's a healthy way to live and leave it at that. They don't need any more explanation. Um, also want to just kind of circle back. You were talking that it takes 90 minutes um, start to finish, but that includes the time that it takes to actually eat. So that 90 minutes is not that big of a burden, especially if you just kind of get into that routine. I think that routine here is really kind of one of the keys to make this uh, so successful for you, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, thank you so much for clarifying that because, yeah, and dinner in my house is over an hour. So we, it's our social time. We, we sit and eat as a family. And um, yeah, so I would say it, that the meal prep is less than 30 minutes. Yeah. There you um, go. I mean, yeah. you think about the time then that it would take to go to the drive-thru. And if you're going to certain establishments, you know that you're going to be waiting there for at least 15, 20 minutes, plus the time then that it takes to drive home. You're talking about more than that half hour investment. You may even be talking about the full 90 minutes, depending on where you go and how busy the restaurant is. So, I mean, keep that in mind. To me, that seems like a very reasonable thing, especially you know, you're talking about making sure that your breakfast and lunch are also taken care of in that window too. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, honestly, Brian, that's, that's really good. I wouldn't call that much of an investment, man. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. It, it really, it really, it really is not, it really is not It's super easy. I mean, I can, and when I'm super busy, I can, I can get a, a box of greens, put it, put it in a bowl and put some great tomatoes and uh, beans and salsa and that may not sound good to you but for me that i and i that's just great i i love that and it, and it can be you know you could dress that up in any number of ways to make it even better to suit your own but that that's super healthy they have you if brown rice is too much time to, to cook they have it frozen you can without anything in it just brown rice you pop, pop it in the microwave for three or four minutes, let it yep. cool, and then 
and then you have that beans and rice and salsa. That's a that's that's a tasty meal, and and uh, that's a whole food plant based meal right there. No question. If if are you a kimchi guy? Because I, I would say swap out kimchi. the salsa for kimchi one time and give that a try and see how you like it. Yeah, no, I do that. I eat a lot of yeah fermented uh, different kinds of kimchi's. I do with kimchi. Uh, a lot of it does have the fish sauce in it, so you just have to. If you make it yourself, that's not an issue. And if you buy it, then uh, just buy the not the stuff without the fish sauce in it. Yeah, the fish yeah. sauce I don't think adds anything to it at all. Yeah, the, the companies have kind of wised up. They know that uh, us vegans, they we, we like our our kimchi, so they'll label it really big there uh, as you go to right. buy it. If you're if if you're not making it yourself, it'll say vegan right across it. So don't exactly. worry about the fish sauce there. Um, yep. But the the final question that I have for you is kind of a curveball one, and it it just kind of struck me given the fact that your specialty. Um, as a plastic surgeon, you work with a lot of people uh, who have had limbs amputated. And I'm just curious, given the fact that you have uh, type 1 diabetes, and, and we know, especially even with type 2 diabetes, that you know there is that increased risk of, of losing a limb. Is there a connection between the two? Is that why you gravitated over into that arena? Yeah, it's a good question. Honestly, I think I mentioned it before. I was interested in vascular surgery, which is the treatment of a lot of people with peripheral vascular disease, and actually chose not to do that, even though it is a, a large diabetic population. Um, and uh, But it is interesting that I did kind of come back to that, and I do take care of those patients, and I really do like it. And I think more so now that I'm, I feel like I have something to offer. Um, I think Ad adopting this way of eating and and this and and understanding the power of nutrition to prevent and reverse these conditions gives me something that I can add uh, to their care that they're not going to get from uh, somebody else. I do get a lot of patients when I bring up this. You know, I'm the surgeon. I'm the hand surgeon or the reconstructive microsurgeon uh, working to save their leg, and I'm the first one, first doctor that ever brought up their diet. And I've had people cry and say, I, you know, you're the first doctor that ever brought this up to me. And I knew this, I knew that this was a problem for me, um, but nobody ever talked to me about it. So, I mean, for me to hear that, it's, it just in, inspires me to do, to keep doing the work I do. And, and that is a big part of why I, I like this part of my practice. This, this isn't my whole, the, all of what I do, but it, it does, um, you know, make this uh, part of my job more meaningful and something that I can, I feel like I can really add to their care. Uh, to be honest, as a type one diabetic, I don't fear amputation because, um, you know, I'm able to control my blood sugar very well and prevent the things that I know that lead to limp the, the problems that eventually would lead to limb loss or kidney failure or uh, blindness, which all can, all can be, happen as a side effect of the type 1 diabetes. So I don't worry about that personally. Um, and um, I just more feel like it's something that I can offer these patients that I know they're not getting from some from the uh, from the rest of the system, the healthcare system. Yeah, I would imagine those thank yous, uh, that gratitude from the patients, um, 
you know, with the tears, I mean, that's got to be everything for you, right? I mean, that's the whole reason why you get into medicine. It's to help people and to be able to help them on that level, um, I would think is probably one of the more rewarding feelings you'll ever experience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely why, that's why we do it. Um, you know, and I think this, that you didn't go there necessarily, but you know, this gets into a bigger, uh, issue in the United States and is that, you know, this kind of care is not reimbursed. So preventative medicine, a lifestyle medicine is extremely powerful. Um, Dr. Michael Greger talks about, you know, if you could put broccoli in a pill, uh, and sell it, you know, uh, you know, it'd be the number one seller for, you know, cancer treatment and everything else just uh, because it's such a powerful food. Um, but because it is a food and no one can make a profit, it's not understood and it's not sold and, and, and it's not something even talked about uh, in disease uh, treatment. So we need to do something about that. And just a shout out to PCRM for the work that uh, you all do, that um, that you, you have your priorities uh, right and your approach to patient care. And um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's the way medicine needs to be done for, the, for our future, in my opinion. Brian Carlson, thank you so much, my friend. This has been fantastic. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Chuck. This is the first of two shows on diabetes as we cruise toward ICNM in August. Cyrus Kambata from Mastering Diabetes will be joining us on the exam room live Wednesday, July 27th at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And of course, the audio from that show will be released right back here on the podcast July 28th. And if you have not already subscribed to the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel or like their Facebook page, links to do both right now so you can watch the show are found in the episode notes. How about Dr. Carlson? I honestly thought originally that the interview would be more science than story, but as he began running through everything that he experienced, I just got lost in it. I get so fired up when people who are facing adversity don't throw in the towel. And Dr. Carlson surely was not about to do that. He had a goal and he was not going to settle for anything less. And then boom, here he is today doing big things up at the prestigious Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Just an awesome, awesome story. And there's more to it that he'll be sharing, a lot more to the story, and a lot more to the science on the positive connection between a plant-based diet and type 1 diabetes. He's going to be sharing all of that when he takes the stage at this year's International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. And the name of his presentation? A New Approach to Type 1 Diabetes. It's about rethinking the typical course of treatment for patients with type 1 diabetes and the latest research showing how a plant-based diet can effectively manage this disease that is right now, as you're hearing this, affecting 1.6 million people in the United States alone. That is 320,000 of our friends and our family, our neighbors in every single state who might be searching 
and struggling, reaching for an answer. So there are a lot of people who could use a lot of help, and Dr. Carlson's presentation at the conference may help them get started on that healthier path. And there are still limited seats remaining for ICNM, but they will not last long. PCRM.org slash ICNM. Go there right now and register. CME credits are available for medical professionals, but you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse or even a dietitian to join us. You can just have a really healthy thirst for healthy knowledge. Come there, raise your health IQ. You know, there will be 30 experts speaking over the course of these three days, including Dr. Carlson, but also Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Kim Williams, Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Gemma Newman, Dr. Robin Chutkin, Dr. Hana Kaliova as well, who has led some absolutely masterful research here at the Physicians Committee and so many others. So you don't want to miss your chance to raise your health IQ like never before. And we'll be recording episodes of the exam room all throughout the conference, all three days. You can join us live and in person August 18th through the 20th at the Grand Hyatt Washington, which, by the way, is just a short walk from the White House and the National Mall. And if you've never been to Washington, D.C. before, the National Mall, with all of the monuments, offers some of the most gorgeous and breathtaking picture opportunities you will ever see in this country, especially at sunrise. Imagine getting a selfie in front of the Washington Monument or having the Capitol as the backdrop or the Lincoln Memorial with the reflecting pool right there. It is absolutely gorgeous. So if you join us for ICNM August 18th through the 20th, be sure to get up early and go and grab that photo. Then come back for breakfast, which, by the way, will be equally breathtaking. PCRM.org slash ICNM is the website to visit to join us. You can see a full list of speakers there and save your seat today. PCRM.org slash ICNM or just click the link in the episode notes. Let's switch gears now and take a look at a new study. Women already live longer than men, but new research from the University of Georgia is showing how they can make those extra years healthy years. Let's head to the exam room news desk for the details. Women live nearly six years longer than men on average in the United States, but those are not always quality years for their health. Women account for almost 80% of all autoimmune disease cases, according to experts who say the vulnerability is linked to biology. New research, though, shows that can be addressed with preventative care, including a healthy dose of brightly colored fruits and vegetables. Experts say women who eat a diet high in pigmented carotenoids, such as yams, kale, spinach, watermelon, bell peppers, tomatoes, oranges, and carrots are more likely to have lower rates of disease. The study shows the biggest benefit may come in preventing visual and cognitive loss. The importance of this is underscored by lead researcher Billy Hammett, who says women are more likely to be diagnosed with illnesses that are debilitating in their later years, citing macular degeneration and dementia as specific examples where two-thirds of patients are women. He says, quote, these diseases that women suffer for years are the very ones most amenable to prevention through lifestyle. 
The research shows one reason why women may be more susceptible to these diseases is the way their bodies store vitamins and minerals. And while women and men typically eat the same amount of carotenoids, the requirements for women are much higher. And I wanted to share this other quote from Hammond with you as well. He says, quote, I don't think people quite realize what a profound effect diet has on basically who they are, their mood, and even their propensity for anger. And now, of course, this is extended to the microbiome and the bacteria that make up your gut. All of these components work together to create the building blocks that compose our brain and the neurotransmitters that mediate its use. And I've dropped a link for you to check out the research that is published in the journal Nutritional Neuroscience in the episode notes. Also there, you will find a link to subscribe to the Exam Room podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you haven't already done so, please take a moment to do that right now and leave a five-star rating and a nice review if you feel like you've raised your health IQ today. Just doing that, taking that moment to do that really quickly is like paying forward everything that you have learned here so that the next person can improve the quality of their life and hopefully reclaim the health that they lost long ago. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Brian Carlson for sharing his success with us and giving inspiration to those living with type 1 diabetes. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>